Today, the tables have turned. Yes, that's right, friends. In this episode, both John and I are going to be switching over to the other side of the table. And uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to be put in the hot seat today. We've got a special guest who's going to be interviewing us. It's Jess Mikulczyk, a grade seven educator from Foam Lake Saskatchewan, who's working towards his master's of education. And today he's coming on to interview us about some memorable math moments from our teaching experience, some of our thoughts on leadership and innovation in mathematics, and so much more. Yeah. Stick around and uh, you're going to hear stories from both of us in our classroom experiences and how we got started in changing our pedagogy and what it means to be a math moment maker. Cal, here we go. Let's do this. All right. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are from MakeMathMoments.com. And together with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver problem-based math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense-making, and ignite your teacher moves. You, my friends, mm-hmm. are going to be diving into an episode here where Jess is going to be doing the interviewing and uh john it's different for us yeah like i felt very sort of out of place like how does it start like who goes where who does what but you know what at the end of it i don't know about you john i feel like the conversation was pretty rich it was Mm. great to kind of go back to share some of our memories from our teaching experience some of our challenges some of our you know we'll call them dead ends that really we discuss why they weren't dead ends in the end and so much more how are you feeling about the conversation yeah it was like you said it was great to reflect and share our journey and think back on what maybe are some of those key moments that changed the way that we were were doing things so it was good to reflect and i think jess got a lot out of it and Jess is working towards an assignment project and he reached out to us and said, hey, look, can I interview you for this project? And we said, hey, why don't we record it and see how it goes? So it turned out well. So we want you to listen. So, hey, let's not waste more time. Here, Here it we is. go. Well, hey, Kyle and John. Very excited to be on your show. This is pretty overwhelming, excited, anxious, all the stuff just to be a part of a podcast. First time ever. So, hey, Jess, we're excited that you could join us and we're super pumped to chat with you uh, on your project and answer questions and hey we're flip the tables right Kyle we're getting interviewed today and it's a it's a nice little change yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely it's probably more odd or weird feeling for John and I because it's like we're in a completely different sort of mind uh, headspace is I think what I'm after but we're super excited so yeah thanks for uh, fire for away. on and fire let's away. rock and roll this is part of my project and uh, my class is learning through leadership and main themes are innovation, change, leadership. And based on what I've just done in my math class, I teach math seven grade using your resources from the website and a couple of the courses that I've taken. I feel like you guys are a great fit to learn more from. So I'm going to start off. I got a question. I don't know who wants to go first, but so under those three categories, innovator, innovator, change changer or leader 
you got to pick one. I know they're very interconnected, but if you were to say, I am this one over the other two, what would you say and why? Just, I think I just view myself as a classroom teacher and I'm a high school teacher. And so I guess the best one that I feel like describes me is a changer. Like I feel like I've done a lot of change in my teaching over the course of my career. And I think I'm trying, and this is part of the mission of Make Math Moments is to help other people change their career and also the pathway that they're on. Because I was a very traditional teacher for many years, but I think I was also a teacher who would dabble in, say, technology and trying to engage my students in a certain way. But my lessons very much looked like the way that we've described them on previous episodes Mm -hmm. of hey, I'm going to introduce the topic today. Oh, we're going to take up the day's homework from before. So now I'm going to say, hey, today we're going to learn about this. Here's some examples. Let me show you how to do them. Hey, you try this one. I'll take it up. You try this one. I'll take it up. Now you just do a whole whack of them. And then uh, (laughs) the last 25 minutes is for you to practice your homework. Like that was for me for a long time. But then I would slide in. Oh, I'm going to do a lesson on the Texas Instruments TI Inspire. You know, it was like I went to a workshop on that. It was like, okay, that seems pretty cool because it almost had like a little mouse built into the TI Inspire. For those of you who are remembering those calculators, it was like the first way where like we could graph parabolas and show how things change very quickly. It was before Desmos's time. It was before the internet had such a power of online resources. And it was, I think I just made small changes to my practice that eventually built upon each other. And it was one small change here, like taking a little bit of a risk and doing something different than the rest of my colleagues, and then trying to help my students understand math at a deeper level. And then that pathway just evolved into more and more change. And then you look back. 15 years later, and you feel like you're in a completely different place. And I think a lot of us will do that over the course of our career. But I feel like when I look back, that's a completely different teacher than I am now. But it wasn't, it wasn't like there was one moment that made, Mm -hmm. hey, I was there. And now I'm here. And it was a switch. Like it was not like the switch. I think a lot of people, when we have conversations about change and pedagogical change in teaching practice and mathematics, when people want to become all of a sudden something different and see that difference, they think it's a snap change. And it's this thing like I was this, now I'm this, and it's completely different. And for me, I, it wasn't like that. It was a gradual change over many years. And I think it's hard to help people see that that change does take time and we can't just jump from one person into another without going through that change. And I, you know what, I don't think I would change that. I don't think I would go back and go, could I jump from here to here really fast? I think going through all of those lessons over the course of my career led me to where I am now. And just when you mentioned that, I still kind of remember, you know, it just sits in the back of your mind. It's like, I got to do something different. I want to try something. And Mm -hmm. I was that it's like, hey, I'm trying this. And then I walk in and it doesn't work. And then you're just like, what? This should work instantly for me, right? Yeah, right. And, and now I look back because it's been a few years and it takes time. Everything you do new is a new skill and just you got to keep practicing. So mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate that. And I like how I can relate to that. So I'm not sure I fit on the map of your journey, but at least I know I'm going in the right direction. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Kyle, what about yeah. you? 
Well, I'm like, listen to that. And I'm like nodding. And I think there's probably a lot of teachers kind of who can relate to, you know, what John said and Jess, you're sort of like nodding as well. Kind of like, okay, yeah, I got this. And even thinking of like, it is such a slow process. And of course, anything we can do to maybe speed up that journey is something that we would advocate that all educators do. But with the caveat being, no matter what you do, it's still not going to be like a, hey, by tomorrow, it's ready or by next week or maybe even next semester. And I just reflected on before we hit record, Jess, you had mentioned that you went back and listened to episode one. And John and I, we probably should go back to listen to episode one, because I'm sure there's so many things that we didn't realize back then when we listened the first time and compared to the way we do things now that are probably different. Maybe other people may not see the same changes, but I'm sure we would see it. And that's three years of doing this weekly, right? And I don't know, I can totally relate to that. I mean, when I think of those three titles... John, I was like you, I was like, oh, geez, I'm scrambling to write these down because I want to, you know, so we've got innovator, changer and leader. And I would say for me, I think I thought for a long time, I'm picturing like John with his TI, you know, whatever it was, 83, 98, whatever. Inspires. (laughs) The inspires, right? The actual CAS, right? So you could like program them and do all these things. Like I think back then when we were trying these new ideas, that I thought I was an innovator. And then I quickly Googled it while John was talking. And (laughs) the definition is a person or the definition Google told me, right? I don't know how official that makes it, but you know, it says a person who introduces new methods, ideas, or products. And something that I think John and I have realized over this journey, and I'm sure there's a lot of other educators who feel the same thing, is that it's pretty rare when you actually from the ground up, create a new idea. Like when you actually create a completely new idea, of course you could have spins on it. What I realized is that I'm actually, it's not one of these three, it's just a learner. And I would say if I had to pick one, I'd probably say changer just from my own perspective of like changing what I'm doing in order to kind of iterate through this process. So much like Jess, you were saying, it's like you go in, you try it and it doesn't work the first time. And okay, I'm going to change that again. And I'm going to change that. And, and of course we're inspired to try to help other people change and sort of have their epiphanies. For me, that's the one that I guess resonates with me the most is that most of our ideas, even the three-part framework we always talk about are, are really a bunch of amazing ideas that are out there, but they're all kind of either in isolation or maybe not fully understood. And we try to bring them together and try to continue iterating these ideas together into a system, into this framework to see, hey, can we make this something that we can do with some relative consistency, right? We always say relative because it's never perfect. And, you know, there's always days where you're off or you didn't feel like it went so well. But for me, that's the one that I'm going to, I guess, resort to. But I wish that fourth one was in there, which is, again, learner, just like learning. And when you learn to do better, you do better, right? Which is, you know, the pretty famous quote there by Mia Angelou. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? 
setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait. Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Yeah, just kind of how you're describing the innovation piece. I just think of it as awareness, right? So you're teaching 10 years ago and you're at that point where you become aware. It's like, this isn't working. And then, you know, there's ideas out there. Even between you two, there's probably people out there doing stuff that stole ideas from you and building on that and trying new things and innovating from what you've created. And definitely, I would say you guys are changers based on your story, right? That kind of stands out too. And I know you mentioned Dan Meyer all the time and his, is it three act math classes, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so and I've tried a few of those too. And yeah, it's just like this worked. And I feel I'm at a point now where it would work better just with a little bit of practice. And so I would say for your implementation of innovation, so you've had lots of ideas coming at you and you're making these changes. Is there one that was the difference maker or the one that kind of stands out, you know, or maybe one of the first Mm -hmm. things you tried? I know, uh, I know you talked about your one-to-one classroom piece. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's what kind of pops into my mind is maybe not necessarily the big shift, but I think it definitely helped me with shifting what I was looking for. And I think for quite a long time, I resorted to technology. I think this is still a thing that we see a lot in education, right? Like a lot of district goals have technology involved and now they've kind of broadened it to 21st century competencies and things of that nature. I mean, that is amazing. But I thought it was like the technology itself like was going to change things for those students. And we say those students, like those students who come into math class already feeling defeated. I know, Jess, you're teaching grade seven. I know you're teaching some other grades as well. But like students, oftentimes, by the time they get to grade seven, a lot of students have sort of made up their mind as to whether, or maybe their mind has been made up for them as to whether they're a math person or not. And when we think of those students who are coming in sort of already defeated, I thought technology might be the thing that would change that. But the reality was, is like, I had to think bigger. So I went down the rabbit hole. I'm so happy I did. I spent so much time and energy and effort putting grants together, proposals, learning how to deploy in a class set of iPads without any help from IT departments because we didn't have any iPads in the system yet. And doing all those things, I learned so much. But I would say like the thing I learned so much through that work, and and I hope people can think of this as a way to maybe look at themselves and think when you put a lot of work into something, sometimes it feels like the end result isn't what you were hoping for. And I feel like that's a perfect example for me is I've spent so many hours after school, before school, during school, trying to make this program sort of change things for students. And what I realized is that it can be helpful, but technology itself wasn't the answer. It was like, I was sort of like going down the wrong rabbit hole 
to find the fix for this math class problem. And what it made me realize is that, hey, maybe I need to zoom out again and start looking around. And that's when I started going to conferences and hearing people speak, uh, Dan Meyer, as you've already mentioned, but then also a lot of other educators who were talking about these things like strategies and math models. I'm like, what's a math model? What does it mean to use manipulatives in my math class? Like These were all brand new ideas. I'd heard of them, but I didn't think there was anything there worth digging into. And for me, I think that experience, even just to realize that you can put a lot of effort into something. And even though that thing itself may not have produced the results you were looking for, I think what I learned from that was that helped me to look in a different direction. Like had I not done that, I could still Mm -hmm. believe that today and still be hitting that same wall and spinning my wheels. So the effort is worth it, even though it didn't necessarily maybe do what I was hoping or had intended for originally. Early on when you started this, did you find that discouraging? Because there's a few moments this year where, you know, I I put in so much time to create these lessons and yeah, get it in the front of the room. And yeah, it was a couple of them were such flops. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, why did I spend so much time? And you know, you take a little yeah. bit of time off and then you're back to the drawing board and moving yeah. forward. I feel that way a lot. And John, you've had a lot of experience with the tech piece too. So I'm sure it'll segue nicely for you to sort of mm. fill in. But, you know, it's funny because I recently had to edit something that I haven't looked at in like five or six years. And I saw all of these old files that I hadn't gone into. And I opened up a bunch of them and I looked at them and I was sort of like, wow, I spent so much time on that stuff. You know, like it's like, and I'm not using any of that anymore, but I could look at it and say, wow, I wasted my time. But again, I really believe like that is the time spent, like that energy that you spend is the learning and the learning is the part that is most valuable out of all of this. Had I not done that work and so much other work, like who knows, you know, yeah, whether, you might not be whether, in this position. Yeah. And we're still not quote unquote there yet. We haven't solved all the math class problems, but I'm guessing that like we wouldn't be in the position we are now where we're going, okay, we feel like we're now on this path and moving in the direction that we really want to be moving in. And just, you know, just add to that, because when you talk about being a learner, right, a teacher is kind of complacent and just keeps doing the same thing over and over. You really forget what it's like to be the learner and on the learning side. And, you know, that's anything if my master's course has taught me is it's like, holy man, okay, I'm a student again. I've got, you know, due dates. I got to manage my time better, all this stuff. Then you got this anxiety about getting something done because you're coaching, you're being a dad, all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's created some great conversations with my students. Even I asked them, it's like, how do you guys feel about firm deadlines versus, you know, a bit loose deadlines? Because right now my prof's like, as long as you're in by the end of the course, I'm good. And for me, it freaks me out. It's like, I need, tell me Sunday, this is due. And I haven't done Sunday. If not, well, I might do it Sunday. Yeah, Super it's almost awesome. harder to think about, right? You're like, now I have to plan it. You know, yeah, it's like, I want my professor to do it for me. Yeah, That's something that... Uh, like you said, like being a student, again, helps you think about these things you might not have thought about. And I think being in different situations also help with that and experiencing different educators in your in your school or, or seeing what's happening down the hall. Like I know that 
a big influence on me. I was going to say a couple, but I just, you know, I thought about this soon as you kind of said that is that a few years ago, so maybe five or six, got probably more than that. Now we started to, in our school, do a lesson study, which is teachers would get together and we would plan one lesson and together one of us would go and deliver that lesson and the rest would watch, observe, see how the kids react to it. And the nice thing about when we started that, it was cross-curricular. So it wasn't just math teachers planning math lessons. It was an assortment of teachers planning a math lesson. And then then assortment teachers would plan a science lesson. And you got to go into other classes and see what it's like in another room and see how kids respond into different teachers and the lessons that they're providing. It's like being a student again and seeing like what's happening in other places gives you different ideas. And I know that that has opened my mind to different experiences too. And thinking about, I said before that I was a little bit of a risk taker in trying new things, but then I think I became even more so when I saw other ideas being shared in the school themselves. You got to see, because a lot of times we don't see what's happening down the hall from us. And you're in isolation, like you're in your class with a bunch of kids and you think this is the way you're supposed to do it. And if you don't kind of seek out new experiences. Like Kyle said, going to conferences is such an eye-opening experience or doing professional development, but also just witnessing and seeing other colleagues and how they're handling the same kids you're working with can be such an eye-opening experience. I know that early in my career, that helped me change the way, like Kyle, you had mentioned that not only like technology helped kind of bridge the gap into into new experiences for you, but then you said understanding models and actually thinking about questioning and, and how the math relates to other math and connections. I know that the more we dive into the actual understanding of the mathematics ourselves also is so important. And I think my earlier self was that I know math. I know the math behind all this stuff. I don't have to think about that. But when I reflect now, when I said I know math, I might have known math at one time, but really, I think I had the surface level of knowing math. I knew how to do it procedurally. I knew how to get a problem done. But I hadn't thought about, Kyle always wants to bring up the two types of division when we talk about dividing things. And that's something that blew my mind. And I had never even thought about it. And I have a degree in mathematics. Um, or, hey, uh, or go John, ahead, Jeff. So just with the knowing math, that would be the procedural is like the memorizing piece of it. Yeah. As we refer to, I guess so. It's kind of like when I said, I know math, it's like, you could throw a math question at me and I could solve it. Yeah. High school math. I felt like I don't need to like bone up on my math skills. I know how to do this stuff. But when we dove into the underlying concepts of how it connects to other math or other concepts or why these things work, right? Like why this works or the development, it's so rich. And it was something that I never considered. And it was once that came out and all of a sudden there was that to think about. It was like what you said, Jess, it's like I became a student again. And it also opened my mind to lots of other possibilities. It's like I'm now a student here in mathematics because there's so much depth even in elementary school, middle school mathematics that I'd never thought about Mm -hmm. even having a a high school or a university degree in mathematics. But it opens my mind to other possibilities like what you said. Like it took me down a whole assessment journey that I was on for and still on for years now on how do I assess my students better? And what does that really mean? Like it basically gave me permission to say like, what do these things mean and how can I learn more from them? 
I just want to like add to that too, because when we talk about trying to make change, so like go back and if we sort of side by side, what John's just said, and go back to my experience with like technology, technology was the only idea I had because I thought math was just the procedure, you know, like I thought that's all there was. And now it's like, as soon as this other door was opened and in my district, I was on this journey already, but I couldn't notice or name what it was that I was doing differently. And we started looking at the five proficiencies as the National Research Council outlines them in the Adding It Up document and NCTM talks about them quite a bit. But it was like procedural fluency, which again, I wasn't fluent with procedures. I just knew a procedure. (laughs) So I wasn't like fluent with it, but then you have like conceptual understanding. And that's the big one for me. That was like, oh, like there's a reason why other than rules of algebra, right? Which is how I think a lot of us in, in high school math sort of learned is like, you knew algebra and you followed the behavior of the patterns of algebra and they've managed to kind of carry you along. But you start to realize like that there's actually like concepts underneath that are all interconnected. And then it starts to, again, like John, your assessment journey, it's really difficult to actually do a significant amount of learning in assessment and evaluation if you're not really sure what else to do in math other than a procedure, because you're like, you either know it or you don't, and that's it. And really the only option you have is like, you can have a cheat sheet or you can't. And like, that's the only choice you have. But then when you start to look at math as something different, you start to realize like, whoa, what am I assessing? What am I evaluating? Like what matters and what doesn't matter anymore And again, it's like more and more doors start to open and you start to go, oh my gosh, there's so much more here. And like, while it can be overwhelming to think about how much there is to it, I look at it as like, how exciting is that? You know, Mm -hmm. imagine doing 30 years of just memorizing formulas or telling kids to memorize stuff like that to me is like, wow, that would be a long 30 years. But right now it's like, we're all learning this together. And it's like, every time you come into a new course or class, you feel like it's like another attempt at doing it even better. And to me, I'm like, what a cool opportunity, right? Where our job, like where you can feel like you're getting better and better at it. And it's more enjoyable with every time that you do it. That to me is like the game changer for me anyway. I'm going to thank you guys right now because I honestly just had within the last couple of weeks a moment like that. So I'm signed up for your course, the transforming textbook. And to me, it's just so nice, right? It's like, you don't really have to do anything major. You're just going to make this little switch. And the way you guys phrase it is so simple, but then it's to implement it. It's like, I don't know how to do this. So after watching that first episode, you guys were the teachers. I was the student. And then I went through it because I've tried a few of your tasks before. And again, I just didn't know what I was doing. Wasn't sure kind of what I was looking for or how to get the kids involved. And so anyways, watching that and just being the student, it was so cool to see even as adults, how many different ways we got to the answer, right? Or Mm -hmm. how many ways you see. And so to me, I'm starting to understand now. And I have, uh, I know you guys are friends with Lana. She's my math coach for our division. And I've had her in my class and that's what I I watched her teach. And to me, that was like, okay, this works for me. I got to see someone do it. You know, it's that visual, put it together. And I wanted to do one today because I knew it was going to be on with you guys. And uh, 
So I did the one with the beans where you dump the bag of beans out. And it was interesting. And one of the first things I came up with them was, uh, I've still got on the board there. How is this related to math? <laughs> the classic. That's yes. the classic, right? Yeah. And so don't worry, we'll, you'll see, we'll keep going. And it was just such a cool moment because I used a lot of the tips and tricks you guys showed me as teacher to student. And yeah, it's just, we had a lot of fun in class today. You could just tell the kids were curious, asking questions, working together. I have all their stuff posted on the wall and every sheet, there's so many different ways they regrouped or counted by ones, counted by twos, all that different skip. Like it was just cool. I love it. Something that I feel like more and more, and it makes our life, your life harder in that moment to try to like process all of that. But at the same time, it's like you start to see the brilliance in every student, right? Like I remember a class where I had some kids who tried hard and some students who I would always say were like not trying hard. I would even go as far as to think like I thought they were being lazy. And in reality, it was like they didn't really have anything to offer. There was no entry for them. And now you start to see every student has something valuable to share. And they're at a different place in their journey, just like educators. Like we're all at different places in our journey. But to me, that is such an exciting place to be. And then to think, hey, that student who is counting by ones. And it's like, hmm, I would love it if I can help nudge them along. What do I ask them next, right? Like, where do we go next with that student? So good on you for trying and, uh, mm-hmm. and putting it to work. So awesome well, stuff. Yeah. And one of the other things you mentioned in that course was don't give them answers. It's like, you got to challenge them. And it is like in my blood, it's no matter what I do, it's like, I got to give you an answer. I got to give you an answer. Yeah. It's like, hard not to. You know, you got to back off. So do you guys have any stories to share? Do you remember those moments that similar to what I had today? John, do you have anything that pops out? For sure. For sure. We've had lots of moments over the years when you're trying to make math moments, right? So, so I guess when I think about moments, the one that comes to mind is like a collection of moments that Hmm. kind of have morphed into like, it's almost like a feeling that, you know, you did something right. And, and I guess it's like when you've shifted class to do what you've just described and you've got students who historically not loved math class, it was not their favorite subject coming into high school. And when you are running class with a few big ideas in mind with safety, like psychological safety is a big thing that I try to make sure is in our classroom culture is, is that we want to make sure it's a safe environment. We want to work together every day. You might've read about Peter Lillidall's random grouping where he has kids randomized groups. And I think he argues the randomized groups helps keep things fair and, and keeps discussions flowing. But for my students, I say like, we're randomizing groups because we want to work together and we want to feel safe with each other and we have to get to know each other to do that. So in order for us to get to know each other, we have to work with each other on a regular basis. I had a year, my old self that I remember at the end of the year, this is one of those moments where I remember I needed to change something. I a kid sat in rows, right? And I did a lot of examples. A kid asked me a question. I think I was working with somebody else at the time. And I, and I said, why don't you go over and talk to Joey? And the kid said to me, 
who's that? But it was like the end of the year. Like it was June <laughs> and we had gone all semester and this kid didn't know who Joey was in my room. And I felt it was immediate. It was like, it hit me like a truck that I'm like, there's something wrong here. Yeah. There's <laughs> something wrong here that this student doesn't know the other kids in the room. And that has always stuck with me in a sense to always strive for the opposite of that. So I randomize my students coming into the door every day so that we know everybody and everybody knows each other. And only if we know each other and feel comfortable working with each other, are we then going to be able to share ideas with each other and strengthen our mathematical understanding because there will be less barrier to being brave and sharing thoughts on different questions when we're working at the boards or maybe we're doing a large group discussion. But that is one thing that I, I remember. And so, and so when, when I go back to this memory, this kind of collective memory is when kids walk in who have traditionally hated math class or not enjoyed it. And, and over time, after a couple of weeks, you could almost see like a calmness on their face that this is the right spot. And it's hard to describe that when you see kids who normally hate math class or said they hated math class. And all of a sudden it's like, they're the first ones to come in the room while it's still break time, because it's like, I know it's going to be okay in here, or I know this is going to be an enjoyable experience. Like I know that I'm valued here in this room. Like it's hard to describe that because they don't say that, but you can see it sometimes on their faces. Mm. That's the moment that says, Hey, we're doing something right. This is the right move to make. Maybe the test scores aren't out of the world compared to say a guy who's teaching them how to memorize down the street. But my students are becoming better problem solvers, but also feeling a connection towards mathematics and then something relevant in their lives. Hey there, math moment makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. It's just so cool because I don't group kids enough, like you just mentioned, right? They always want to go with their friends and you right. random grouping. It's tough. I took in some comments from the kids today and I call it high, low Buffalo. It's a great parenting strategy too, if you guys want to use it. At the end of the day, we always tuck kids in. It's, you know, what's one of the highlights of your day? What's something low? And it's, you know, it's important to talk about things that didn't right. go well. And then the Buffalo, we stole this from a book. I can't remember the name of the book. So thank <laughs> you, author and book, whoever gave this to me and my wife. And then the Buffalo is just uh, whatever. Hey, this happened today. It was a surprise. Loved it. Cool. And you share nice. it. So try, you should try. I'm sure your kids would love it at home. But this was one that came up with that was I didn't expect to have fun with a person that you partnered me with. And I was just, they didn't put their name on it. So I can't say who it was right now, but I was like, that was cool. You're working with someone you probably never have. And you had fun in math class doing math. So yeah. another kind of one of those things where it's like, yes, today was had a lot of little successes. I love it. I love it. And, you know, kind of building on that grouping idea and the random grouping idea is a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast, 
students don't always love it right out of the gate. And I think that is sometimes a bit of a shocker to teachers, to educators, when in your mind, I think we've all been trained to think that getting students engaged, you know, the buzzword engagement, right? To get student engagement, I feel like we've done so much gimmicky engagement over the years that it's like, it's not real engagement. And it's like with gimmicky engagement, kids usually approve of it immediately. But when you start shifting your teaching practice, so random grouping is one of them, students will like visibly be upset with it. And you can imagine why, because at first John's talking about psychological safety, but what's going through a lot of students' minds, especially as students get a little older, like once they get into the junior, like intermediate grades, and then they start going into upper grades with every year, it's like that becomes actually more scary at first. It's like getting out of that comfort zone of like, I would much rather sit in my own little bubble over here or always work with these two students or these three students. But I don't want to have to talk to that new person. I think as adults, we're like that too. Like if I'm at a social gathering, I'm like, I would much rather hang out with the people I know than to necessarily have to go meet somebody new. And usually when you're forced in that scenario, you feel better about it. And I feel like in math class, there's so many things that we do now that students initially balk at, and that makes your progress or your journey really, I guess, hard at first. And to kind of go back to like my educator math moment, I remember the first year that I really went all in. I was still doing this one-to-one iPad thing, but I knew it wasn't on its own like doing it. There was some benefits to it. I'm not saying it was bad, but it didn't do what I was hoping to do. And that's when I started getting more into this problem-based thing. But I was probably at kind of the phase where you feel you're at there, Jess, where like, you feel like probably many days you're feeling like, you know, you kind of hit a wall or like something didn't go right. And you're trying to figure it out. And should I just give up on that? Like I had a lot of that going on. And this one class, I was like, made the commitment. I'm like, I'm doing this. Like, I'm not going to just do it once in a while. Cause once in a while wasn't working either. Right. You know, doing review day fun problems is like, it didn't change anything. It's like, I got to go all in on this. So I did. And I had one student who I knew because it came into our high school as grade nine, first year of high school here in Ontario. And we had a meeting with the grade eight teachers to kind of learn about different students. And this was the top student, the top math mark from this feeder school. And this student after like first few days was like really kind of just negative, like negative vibe. I'm like, I don't know, maybe they're just, that's maybe just the way they are or whatever. And at the end of the first week, the student in the hall, like was almost in tears and was like, I cannot stand the way you're teaching. I was like, oh my God, like it hurt my soul. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe this. I'm like, and I legitimately felt like maybe this, maybe I'm on the wrong path again this student must know the student has a high mark and I stuck with it, stuck with it. The student eventually started coming around. I realized well after the fact that really this student was like us, like all of us in this conversation that was a memorizer. And I was taking that tool away from her. And I basically use this story. I talk about it on a lot of episodes where it's like this student felt like I was basically taking away 
the crown, the math crown from this person, because this person couldn't beat all these other students to the answer because it was like thinking. And this was really pushing her. And it's a story I will never remember because that whole semester, like I was like, okay, like she stopped. She wasn't as vocal as we went on. I'm like, okay. And she was doing well. And like, she was coming around, but it really, really stuck with me. And it wasn't until the next year in grade 10, when she stopped me in the hall, it was just kind of in passing, you know, classes are in between and she stopped me and I said, how's math going? She's like, honestly, it's horrible. She's like, I used to hate your class, but she's like, I realized that you helped me learn how to think. And she's like, all we're doing is memorizing right now. I was blown away by that. It like, it took me, <laughs> I wanted to say to her, like, do you know how many nights I lost sleep over, you know, over you and, and, you know, what you said, but ultimately at the end of the day, that student had the realization. It just took a really long time. And it was like, now I can notice and name that behavior in a student, but it is so hard for, let's say a teacher who's like, I want to try this journey. Let's say they go into the transforming your textbook course that you're in, they go in and they're not ready for some of the students, especially your stronger students who are like, I can't, they're just like, give me the formula and like, let's be done with this. And that is like a really, really hard thing. But for me, that was a huge learning experience. And now I know when I have students like that, that I'm like, I now know how to talk with them and explain why I'm doing what I'm doing. At the time, I couldn't really explain or articulate it. But again, one of those memories that I'll forever remember. And I'm just so happy that I didn't bail when so many times I did think about it and I managed to stick it out. Yeah. When you get pushback, when you're trying something new and there's not much to, not many success strings to pull on to keep you moving. So good for you for pushing through that. Yeah. It was scary stuff. It's that herd mentality, right? It's like, it's so much easier to continue down with the group. Mm -hmm. The group's going this way. And it's like, Hey, if we all go down together, at least, you know, I don't feel when you're down this path by yourself, it's like a lonely road. And then it's like, you almost feel like everyone's going to laugh at me when they didn't do it and you fall on your face. And that's a really tough headspace to be in for sure. It, you know, and the other thing I found too, because I would say I'm leading in the change right now with what's happening in our school. And because you don't have anyone to lean on or go chat with that has those experiences, it kind of adds a challenge where you doubt yourself. And then you, you know, and I have Lana, who's been great with, I can email her and get a pretty quick mm -hmm. response. So I have found someone now. And again, it just takes time to figure out myself as a teacher and how I'm going to be making this evolution, which kind of pushes me into a professional development question for you too, because I'm starting to figure myself out finally, which is great. But you kind of have a story or like a professional development that you enjoyed or was kind of so helpful that you're like, yes, this was, yeah. and I know it all adds up and it all builds to what where we're at, but I would say with Lana showing me how to do it and then practicing it myself was for me, was the game changer. Right. If I think back to some of those, we've been talking about a lot of moments like that have influenced where we are now. And I think this one does that too. I went to a professional development workshop, an all day workshop many years ago. And I've talked about this on the podcast before too. Uh, it was from Marion Small, educator here in Canada, a big name. 
works with lots of publishers, written lots of books on good questions. She introduced in that workshop to us educators something called, you know, open questions, which we're like, what do you mean open question? Like, <laughs> and so she explained what's an open question, what's a closed question, how do you ask open questions, and what does that help you with? Like, why would you want to do that? And that was one of the very first professional development sessions I had gone to that started this journey that changed the way I was asking questions in my classroom. Basically, it helped my students get low floor, high ceiling before I knew to call it low floor, high ceiling. And so when I started to use her techniques that she taught there, I got the book, you know, one of her books that she wrote and implemented a lot of this, these open question type lessons in my day-to-day lessons. That's really where I got so much more engagement than I used to. We're using little whiteboards to write down things and hold them up and show. And it was an eye-opening experience to say, look, I went and got professional development that started to change things. And I think when I look back, that was one of the very first new ideas that I implemented that kept me going down this path of changing, not just like bringing technology into class or changing some of these other things, but actually focusing on the types of questions I was asking my students. Yeah. And I... Yeah. Now that you say open and closed and terms like consolidation, I just read that there's actually two ways to divide, I believe is what you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John. So, <laughs> right. so there's all these terms coming up and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I get how that goes. So, and then Kyle, is there anything for you that stands out with professional uh, development moment? There's so many. And some of them I almost feel like is almost not worth mentioning because we talk about them so much. Like, uh, you know, again, Dan Meyer was sort of like my aha. I was doing the tech thing and it was like, I saw his work and that really helped me with this curiosity. Like, how do you get kids to like, want to answer a math problem that like, that was a big journey for me. Huge, huge. But I would say one of the ones, and I have mentioned this before, you know, we actually just had James Tanton and Ted Coe on, on the show about proportional relationships. And we talk about how Ted and James, myself, and a group of, many others like Phil Darrow and all kinds of really big thinkers in math education space came together to like have this discussion around proportional relationships. And, and at that time I was digging in, like really looking at models and looking at the progression of how things worked. But what I realized when I got there was like, I didn't know anything in reality. But the beauty was, is that everybody there also had, I wouldn't say they felt the same as myself. I think they had a lot more experience in their journey, but it was like everyone was debating different ideas. There was no like, these people know this and you don't. It was like everyone had a different perspective on how to think about things. And I'll never forget, like we spent a whole morning where people were talking about, they're like, well, wait a second. Well, what's your definition of a blank? You know? So it's like, well, my definition's this. So their argument was based on that understanding. And this person had a different definition. And what I realized was like, wow, I don't actually have a definition for a lot of things that I'm teaching. You know, like a real understandable, clear understanding of what it was, ratios and rates and all of these things. And when I left there, it just made me realize like two things. It made me respect the fact that you had all of these people who I guess in my mind, I just assumed were all on the same page because 
they were so far down this journey, but in reality, they were in very different places, right? And they all had really awesome ideas to share, different perspectives. And it kind of had me thinking like, oh, okay. So like, I was like, I need to shift from feeling like I need to know stuff about math to being just more open to listening to what people think. And that's what's really, I find now, like I throw an idea out there, but then I'm clearer about the fact that I'm like, I'm not exactly sure how it applies to this. And it's like, I'm more, I guess, open to just learning with someone. And that to me was like a big shift. And it really helped me open my eyes to some other people like Kathy Fosno and her work. And what I've realized is her work started to resonate with me more because she's very clear with what she means with big ideas and models and strategies. So it was like, I was like, at that time, it was like a perfect mix. And I started kind of going down that rabbit hole a little bit. And a lot of our units are actually designed with the way she designs a unit, like a lot of the same sort of like structure and thinking behind it. So I guess for me, it's like, those were huge in going from this shift of like, because I speak at a conference or because we have a podcast, like we have to have the answer for everything to, oh no, there's like a lot of people that have different thoughts and opinions, but they're not necessarily like the end all be all. They don't necessarily know everything. And that even after 30 years in this game, some people are still on the journey, trying to uncover more and more about the math and how we should teach it with students. So I guess it just opened my eyes to this, wow, like I'm never going to get there. It's just like, I'm just going to continue feeling like hopefully feeling like it's making more sense to me and I'm making more progress, which is exciting and will want to keep me teaching longer and longer. And just totally relates to your story would be leadership. And, you know, with all the work you are doing in the math world that is leadership you got an idea you can't quite put your finger on it yeah you, you know get someone to help you out and yeah you just keep being that awareness right I, that was yeah that's a very cool story all right i'm gonna switch gears so i'm gonna give you guys the question you always ask your guests and so on every podcast what you'll do is you ask a moment from their k-12 experience and so my understanding is you've already done that right? So this would be some math moment that you remember from your teaching career that influenced (laughs) you, you know, as the educators that you're currently in. I usually share one that I shared in the past about getting this sticker of multiplication, but I think I'm going to share a different one here today. And and this one is kind of like yours, Kyle, that you've shared over time where it was like an eye-opening experience. And I think we shared a lot of those here today in this discussion, but I remember being selected to go, this is probably grade 10 or 11 or something like that in high school, selected to go to the university in town for like an enrichment group. It was the University of Waterloo's contest. People were going to be there. They were going to go through like a contest getting ready session. And I had never done anything like that before. I thought, obviously, I was selected because I was good at math. Otherwise, why would the teacher recommend me to go to this? And I remember sitting in this room with all these other high school students from the same town, different schools, and an instructor for the session said, we'll start off with an easy one. And put up this question. And this is, you know, if you're a high school teacher, it's one of those questions where it's like, okay, there's 68 cows 
in this field. And then there's also, or I guess I phrased it wrong already. It was like, I, I, this is not the actual problem. It wasn't that it was easy, something. eh, John? <laughs> yeah, no, this is the this is the thing. It was like, oh, there's like, uh, it, there's cows and, and chickens in the field and there's like 68 feet. And then there's also like so many heads, right? And so it's presented like that at this session. And if you're a high school teacher, you know, this might is a system of equations type problem. But at the time I was a high school student and I remember thinking that I was selected because I knew what I was doing, but I had no clue how to even approach this problem at all. And I'm looking around the room and everyone's writing stuff down. And I'm like, this is the easy problem. What did I get myself into? It was one of those experiences that I think, even then, I knew that what I thought was being good at math was this, hey, I can follow your instructions, teacher, but I actually to come to actually problem solve and thinking about what math connects to a problem here and how do I approach a problem. I had no clue how to do any of that. And it was something that I, as a teacher, moving away from that as something that I always wanted to, even wait from the start of my teaching career, wanted students to become better problem solvers. And I always wanted a focus to be on problem solving and how do I solve problems to begin with. And even my traditional self tried to make sure that we did that, but it's so much clearer now how we can build problem solvers through making math moments. I would agree. And again, my experience today, just pushing those kids to think a little bit differently, you start to see that struggle. And that's why I chose today to put them in partners. I think you recommended putting them, or they didn't have to be in partners. Maybe they could be side by side and ask a, a neighbor if they need it. But I gave them partners thinking, okay, this will be a little bit of a security blanket if they need to try something new. All right, Kyle, you got yours ready? I do. And actually, it's kind of interesting because I was thinking about, I want to like kind of a memory from early in my teaching career that kind of popped into my mind. And it kind of connects to what John's talking about, like his moment, his memory that he just shared where he's sitting there and sort of like, isn't sure where to start kind of relates to what I was going to share. And it was like, I remember vividly in my first few years of teaching, I had more classroom behaviors Probably because, of course, I was a new teacher and probably didn't have like very good classroom management strategies, but also something that sort of perpetuates students sort of being disrespectful or sort of like completely kind of going against everything that you're hoping for in your classes when they're feeling like John did in that moment, right? Except like a lot of those students weren't picked to go to this math thing. Like, so thinking that they were strong in math, like they're sitting there feeling the exact opposite. And my moment was I ran into a student from my very first semester of teaching math. It was a grade 11 class. It was what we call the college pathway uh, grade 11 course, which oftentimes like you'll get a common feel from educators is like, you know, you might have behaviors in there because it's like some students are in this college path, which is, again, it's supposed to be so you can get into the college for your program. But ultimately, what lands a lot of students there is the fact that they don't feel like they are any good at math. Like that's the reality. And sometimes that's the door closer for some of them to, you know, they might have wanted to go to college anywhere instead of university. And that's fine and dandy. But the reality is, is you can still go to college and take the higher level of math. And they end up in this course And there's a lot of students who sort of feel 
almost like they've given up or I'm just going to try to get through this. And I remember this group, it was a dandy little group. I'll tell you that much. Like it was, it was a hard course, a hard class. And I ran into one of these students who gave me a really hard time. And it was like, I ran into them. It was like a little festival here that they have. It's called Sunsplash. Ran into them. So it's summertime. There's like little, like a festival thing. There's like a a band playing in the little tent over there. And I run into this student and it was like, I'll never forget the feeling I got, which had me rethinking how I had been teaching and how I treated students because my stomach dropped because it was almost like, I'm like, oh man, I was embarrassed to talk to the student. And my embarrassment was because I feel like I actually didn't treat students who weren't trying hard in the class with as much respect as I should have, you know, and like, that's me going back to trying to be firm and trying to sort of like lay down the hammer. And I just remember like saying to that student, I'm so sorry. And like the student said, no, no, I should be sorry. You know, like the student knew that they were not doing me any favors, but at the end of the day, as the adult, I felt like, wow, I didn't handle that well. And it just made me think it's like, whenever I have like students in front of me, like to just think about that moment, a few years down the road, I think it was about five years down the road when I ran into the student, like think about how you're treating them. And John talks about psychological safety, making sure that every student feels valued in that room. And I feel like I could have maybe done a lot of things different back then to maybe change that dynamic a little bit. It doesn't guarantee that some students wouldn't have given me trouble, but it's like, as long as at the end of that, I don't feel sort of worried to bump into them five years later because I don't feel like I handled it well. That just sort of is something I think about now is like being very cautious about how we speak to students, how we treat students, how we handle them when they're being disrespectful or when they're maybe stepping out of line. That was a big moment for me. And it's something that I still think to this day of like really thinking ahead before maybe reacting, trying to be more proactive in how you handle some of those tougher situations. I have those two. I have a a list of kids. That's going to be my feeling. And I've already got the apology written through my head Yeah, (laughs) as well. That, but it just totally reminds me of Brene Brown and shaming. And that has changed the way I speak to kids. And I recognize the way adults speak to kids sometimes as, Mm-hmm. You know, shame does a lot of damage with relationships. Mm-hmm. So that was a big moment for my career, reading a few of her things and, and recognizing that. That's the best way to describe it. You know, I've read some of her work. My wife listens to her podcast and speaks about shaming. And that's exactly what it was. It was my approach was sort of that shaming approach. And I think that sort of describes it to a T and it's like, uh, don't want to do that. And if I could go back, I would undo a lot of that. But you have to be there. You got to experience it. So, but I'd be the same. I would undo quite a few conversations (laughs) in my youthful years of teaching. Well, I really enjoyed our time together. I learned so much from you two. You know, anytime you watch a podcast or you're doing a lesson, you just wish you could pick up the phone, right? And just mm-hmm. have that conversation. So I feel like this was that conversation. And, you know, at this point in my learning and moving forward with my math progression here, the timing was right on, spot on. So I appreciate you two having me on your show and being able to ask you uh, 
as many questions as I could fit in with their time. So my gratitude is through the roof right now. Thank you. It was great that you could meet with us and uh, it was an honor to chat with you tonight. And uh, hey, maybe down the road, we'll flip it back and we'll interview you and see how things are going in your classroom and say next year or six months from now. What do you think? Hey, I would be all in for that. I'd be very excited. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Thanks so much, Jess, for this and uh, looking forward to that chat. Awesome. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, my friend. And I'm curious, like, do you want to drop like a link to your podcast? It sounds like you're an expert here at uh, the interview <laughs> process. So good on you. Is there any links or social media or anything that you wanted to share with the Math Moment Maker audience to maybe reach out and touch base? Maybe they've got some interest in some of the work that you're up to. I'm not on social media very much. And I do have my podcast in the works right now. So I don't have anything online, but I guess I could leave my Twitter account. And it's funny. I have no idea what my handle is. So we'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to leave it in the description. We'll, of the we'll leave it there. later. Yeah, no sweat. Later. No sweat. I just wanted to uh, give you that opportunity. So good luck. Let us know if we can be of any help. If your podcast questions, that sort of thing, we love helping folks. So thanks again for coming yep. on and providing the audience with kind of a unique sort of take on uh, the Make Math Moments podcast. So have an awesome night and we're looking forward to catching up with you again soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. As always, Math Moment Makers, both John and I learned so much from all episodes. You know what? Mm -hmm. Even these like random out of our regular format style episodes, just like this one here today. So our question to you is, how are you going to hang on to the new learning? Was there anything that sort of resonated with you? Maybe fire it out on Twitter, tag us at Make Math Moments or throw it into our Facebook group, K-12 Math Moment Makers on Facebook and uh, share it with the world. Get people chatting, get people talking about your notice, your wonder, whatever it is that you're working on from this lesson here today. Yeah, we'd love to engage with you on whatever you are working on. But in order to ensure you don't miss out on the new episodes uh, that come out every Monday morning, each week we've been doing this for, Kyle, I think it's been over three years now. Oh my. Uh, be sure to subscribe. Hit the subscribe button if you have not yet done this. If this is the first time you are listening to us, hit that subscribe button so you can get the notification of the next episode when it comes out on Monday mornings. Hey, if you've listened many to many episodes, you've probably already subscribed Hit that subscribe button anyway and do that on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I love it. I love it. And John, I got to say, one of my favorite things to do right now is these little short YouTube videos that we've been releasing weekly that are kind of like little mini lessons. So if you're not watching this episode of the podcast on YouTube and you haven't hit subscribe, head on over there because we're providing all kinds of lesson walkthroughs, all kinds of ideas and tips to share in your classroom, bite size so you can take them with you. Head on over to YouTube and uh, friends show notes, links to resources, and complete transcripts to read both from the web or download and take with you can be found over at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 169. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 169. Well, until next time, Math Moment Maker friends, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And a high five for you.
if you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.